Texas passes their heartbeat bill, which bans abortion when there is a detectable heartbeat in the child at six weeks. Amazingly, the Supreme Court just ruled 5-4 in support of Texas to allow them to enforce this law. The first bill of its kind, Texas's heartbeat bill is already saving lives, even while the state is not enforcing this law at all. And we're gonna get into that. This provides a possible blueprint for other states to challenge Roe. Predictably, the left is renting their garments and screaming for our heads. But we'd be fools to only laugh at their hysteria. Uh, their response actually carries an important lesson for the church and the pro-life movement. I'm Seth Gruber, and this is Unaborted. Welcome to the show today, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. Hey, listen, if you've been listening to this show for a little bit and you've appreciated it at all, would you give us a rating and review? It really helps us reach more people. I've told you the trolls like to leave nasty comments on my podcast and one-star reviews, and your support helps the show show up to more people in related content on the various platforms so that they're exposed to good thinking, rational ideas, careful thinking on culture and the pro-life movement at such a propitious moment in the country and for the unborn. So do that for us. It really helps us reach more people. Well, you're probably already aware at this point, if you listen to this show and you're in tuned to the news and the pro-life movement, that Texas is now enforcing a new law called the heartbeat bill, right? This bans abortion when there's a detectable heartbeat, but legislation like this has never been allowed to stand by the courts, even if it does go up to the Supreme Court. This is the first kind of bill of its kind, and it's very interesting, so I wanna dive into it with you because it represents sort of a new, careful, and strategic political approach to protecting the preborn, to challenging Roe, and to fighting in the court system, in our sort of um, American judicial system, which has been so perverted, right? which has been so abused, because the judicial branch is not supposed to write laws. That's the legislative branch. But for a while now, the judicial branch has become judicial activists writing laws rather than interpreting the Constitution. And Roe versus Wade is probably the single biggest example of that in the last 50 years or more, which found a fictional right to kill your own child as long as that child is in the womb and unwanted by one or both parents. And so this SB8 law was signed by Greg Abbott um, earlier this year, but went into effect on September 1st, which was uh, last week. And um, you probably saw on social media that leftists were losing their minds calling for a, an emergency decision from the Supreme Court to block the implementation and enforcement of this law. Well, on the evening of August 31st, and then at midnight on September 1st, we had heard nothing from the Supreme Court, so Texas began enforcing and implementing this law. The emergency appeal from abortion proponents to the Supreme Court um, didn't come around until the evening of September 1st. And surprisingly, to my great shock and many others, the Supreme Court actually ruled in support of Texas's heartbeat bill. They ruled 5-4 with John freaking Roberts siding with the three liberals. Uh, the only thing that seems to have become predictable with John Roberts is that he will predictably side with the leftists while he still masquerades 
um, in the uh, theatrical dress of a conservative, but has done nothing to conserve anything, much less the lives of unborn children. And of course, we saw that last year with the June Medical versus Rousseau decision in Louisiana, which simply said, should abortion centers meet the same safety surgical health requirements as any other ambulatory surgical center? Um, and he said no, and therefore stopping what would have saved many lives and sided with the liberals, and he did so again here. But thanks to Trump and that administration and the three Supreme Court justices that got on the court under Trump's administration, we got this through by one vote. So to all the pro-life evangelicals for Biden and woke Christian leftists who said, vote for Hillary, or this time around, vote for Biden, um, this is what we meant. This is why we said that the Supreme Court is incredibly important for the life of the pre-born and everything else in this country. And so only because of Amy Coney Barrett, Trump's third nomination to the highest court in the land, did we get this correct and favorable decision. So what makes this case different? Because as you know, if you follow the pro-life movement at all and abortion jurisprudence, the courts have never allowed regulation on abortion in the first trimester. And this bill, of course, bans abortion in Texas after six weeks when there's a detectable heartbeat. And so what makes this bill different is that rather than enforcing it through a public enforcement or a state enforcement mechanism, it enforces the law through the private sphere, through individual Americans. And this is very unique. Now, if you listened to last week's interview in conversation with Mark Lee Dixon, who is the founder of Sanctuary Cities for the Unborn in Texas, we discussed this aspect of this new political attempt to protect the preborn. We were discussing the sanctuary city for the unborn in Lubbock, Texas. Lubbock, Texas is the first city to become a sanctuary city for the unborn that already had an active abortion center in it when it became a sanctuary city for the unborn. And a sanctuary city is just them saying no unborn children will ever be killed in our city. But all, every sanctuary city has always been a city that did not have an abortion center in it, and they were protecting themselves to make sure no abortion center ever opened within the walls of their city. But Lubbock already had an operational Planned Parenthood in it, and the Christians and people came out and rallied to force a vote, and overwhelmingly voted to become a sanctuary city, and the Planned Parenthood in Lubbock, Texas on June 1st of 2021 shut their doors and have not killed babies since. So this is great news, right? This is incredible. Now, obviously, the state level is a whole different ballgame, an animal, than the city level. But the private enforcement mechanism is the same operative principle in the heartbeat bill in Texas as the Sanctuary City for the Unborn Ordinance in Lubbock, Texas. So rather than the state of Texas using the power of the state to enforce the abortion ban, they give that power to the citizenry. In other words, they deputize citizens to file civil lawsuits against those who obtain an abortion or are involved with an abortion. So it is a very interesting new attempt. And um, the fact that it was allowed to stand is actually really good news for the pre-born and the pro-life movement. So Planned Parenthood and abortion centers have stated before publicly that they will abide by all local and state laws, even though they will fight pro-life laws they don't like in the courts. And the Lubbock 
city in Texas is an example of this. They, they chose to abide by those city laws and stop killing babies through abortion, um, even though you know, they will take that through the courts and try to make the argument that this is unconstitutional. And so just like in Lubbock, private citizens can bring lawsuits against those involved in an abortion. Texas residents can now do the same. And so one of the reasons why the Supreme Court allowed this to stand is because the state's not enforcing the abortion ban at all. They're not doing anything to enforce it. It's being put into the hands of deputized citizens to exercise responsibility. So this places legal responsibility for protecting the preborn into the hands of the people. And I think this is actually really important because, as you know, if you're a parent um, or if you have younger siblings, or if you're an employer and you have people who work under you, sometimes we don't become responsible until we're given responsibilities, right? I mean, you know this if you've raised children. You know, you, you don't just begin expecting responsible behavior and stewardship from your children out of the blue. You give them something to be responsible with, right? You, you, you set a bar and oftentimes we meet it, right? Employers meet it, children meet it. But if you don't set the bar and you don't set expectations or responsibilities at all, not only are you harming the individuals that you govern in this circumstance, but you're harming the broader community. So this places legal responsibility in the hands of individual Texans. And if any state could or should be responsible for overturning abortion, Texas would be a great one, right? Remember the the case, Roe versus Wade, that legalized abortion in this country was from Texas with Norma McCorvey. What a great state to start taking back life um, at the legal level. Now, the left has always found very strategic and innovative ways around laws. You know this, right? They're always finding a new way to avoid some law in order to get what they want, to finagle themselves around the Constitution, um, to sneak in all types of political pipe dreams and funding pipe dreams into massive omnibus bills to get whatever they want. They're very strategic. They don't, they don't rest at the status quo. They take action. They think creatively to achieve wicked and evil things. But they're far more animated at achieving their political goals than the conservative movement has been for a long, long time. And that needs to change, and that's starting to change in some meaningful ways. So now conservatives are doing the same. We're, we're employing very strategic and innovative means at the local levels to protect the pre-born and to pose a challenge to Roe versus Wade. And this law, this SB8 heartbeat bill in Texas is already starting to save babies. And I think we're going to increasingly see that to be the case. So if a woman is going to get an abortion, any private citizen in Texas who learns about it or knows about it can file a lawsuit. If the cousin of the aborted baby, the father of the aborted baby, the sibling of the aborted baby, the grandpa of the aborted baby learns about the abortion, they can file a lawsuit against the abortionist against the nurse assisting with the abortion, potentially even the person driving that woman to the abortion center to kill her baby. And each of those individuals can be fined up to $10,000 for breaking the law, even though the state is not enforcing the abortion ban, and these would be civil lawsuits at the local level. So an incredibly strategic attempt, and we are seeing abortion centers begin to close their doors and women canceling appointments that they had scheduled to kill their preborn children 
um, who were older than six weeks old, of course, when this abortion ban kicks in. An abortion worker from Whole Woman's Health, which is, was at the, has been at the center of a lawsuit before in Texas, went on Rachel Maddow the other day and said that dozens of appointments are already being canceled. Uh, and so this is incredible. It's not a perfect bill. The perfect bill would be restoring constitutional protections for personhood um, to the pre-born. Um, but because we haven't been able to secure that and because most pro-lifers are not ready to wield civil war against the federal government who would probably send in federal troopers to stop a state from banning abortion, this is a strategic way to avoid the bloodshed of Americans, which nobody wants, um, ex except the left wanting the bloodshed of preborn Americans, uh, and still begin to protect the preborn and pose a challenge through our, uh, our American form of government, our constitutional republic, and through the courts. Um, this abortion worker from Whole Woman's Health told Rachel Maddow, the vast majority of people don't know they're pregnant before six weeks. We had, I think, 55 patients on our schedule at Fort Worth, and only five patients are able to be seen under the new restrictions in Texas. So now, are some abortion centers going to maybe try to remain operational? Maybe. I'm not sure. But she's saying publicly on national television that we can only do five of those abortions um, as opposed to the full 55 because of these new restrictions. And so they seem to be abiding by them. And, and abortion appointments are being canceled in, in large part by the people who scheduled the abortion, by the pregnant mothers who are abiding by the laws. This is a really good thing. Texas is also investing $100 million in the Texas Alternatives to Abortion Program. So this is also wrapped up in the heartbeat bill to redirect funding um, towards family-affirming ministries, which provides services ranging from job skills training, diapers, baby formula, parenting classes, and free counseling. And the eligibility for this program of this $100 million is pretty broad. It's pretty cool. The program is available to any Texas resident who is a U.S. citizen or legal immigrant and is the biological mother or father of an unborn child, the biological mother or father of a child for up to three years postpartum, the parent legal guardian or adult caregiver of a minor who is a program client, a parent who has experienced miscarriage or the loss of a child. <clears throat> These clients are eligible to receive counseling, referrals, and other relevant services for up to 90 days after the miscarriage or loss. <clears throat> and an adoptive parent of a child of any age for up to two years after adoption <clears throat> finalization. So this is opening up a lot of funds for pregnancy centers, for, fa for life-affirming, family-affirming ministries um, to fill in the gap, as they often have, for some of the quote-unquote services that people claim women need from Planned Parenthood, even though medically qualified women's health centers outnumber abortion centers something like 20 to 1 without the abortion services. So this is a really good, a really good case and a really good, really good news for the pro-life movement. And these, we're talking about probably 150 babies a day right now who are being saved and not aborted because of this new law. And we need to be praying that this continues to be upheld, even though the abortion left will probably begin filing state-level lawsuits. And we need to be praying for the citizenry of Texas, um, for whom responsibility falls on them to protect the pre-born and file civil lawsuits against those involved in an abortion. And this is probably going to present a blueprint for other states. Um, you're seeing that right now from Christy Nome. So Christy Nome tweeted out the other day. She said, following the Supreme Court's decision to leave the pro-life Texas law in place, 
I have directed the unborn child advocate in my office to immediately review the new Texas law and current South Dakota laws to make sure we have the strongest pro-life laws on the books in South Dakota. So many Republican governors have not thought of this sort of approach and attempt before, and it makes sense that it happened in Texas, given that Lubbock City employed the same type of principle with the private enforcement mechanism in the same state. So this is hitting Christy Nome sort of from left field as she's realizing maybe there's better ways to protect the preborn in South Dakota. Now, I have plenty of critiques of Christy Nome in the last year, uh, which we don't really have time to get into, her, her inability or unwillingness to protect co collegiate women from competing against males who think that they're women. But at least she has been willing to bat for the preborn. So predictably, the left, the Democrats, the abortion industry, but I repeat myself, are losing their ever-loving minds, renting their garments and calling for our heads. And there's a lesson in here, and we're going to get to that. But first, if you like this show and want to hear more great content and commentary from the front lines of the abortion wars and the pro-life movement, then head on over to patreon.com forward slash unaborted and become a patron of the show. Check out our tiers and you get perks with each tier like Zealous Zygote or Sassy Since Conception, Pro-Life Apologist, um, Life Defender, my favorite is the Bane of Choice, uh, and a few others. And each one gives you different rewards and perks as a thank you for supporting the show. But you help us pr pr expand the production value, reach more people, uh, have more guests on, in improve our studio, and begin to afford expenses for going out into the public square to film interactive content with people who may not have ever talked to someone like me before about abortion and putting the ideas we talk about on this show in a conversational context to change minds, change hearts, and save lives. So please do that. It really means a lot to us, and we'll be right back with a whole lot more. Well, if you're on uh, Twitter at all, you probably have seen the abortion crazies absolutely losing their minds over this new Texas law. And this is, of course, predictable because for the left, abortion is a sacrament. And we're going to get more into that towards the end of the show. Um, but they're, they're calling for the, the heads of pro-lifers, of Greg Abbott, and demanding that the Supreme Court and the Biden administration step up to bat for women who are discriminated against through laws that say you can't kill preborn women. So there's actually a website that I believe Texas Right to Life has created, um, which is kind of, it's called the Pro-Life Whistleblower website. The URL is literally prolifewhistleblower.com, which you can see here, Pro-Life Whistleblower. And it presents an opportunity for Texas residents to send an anonymous tip. Right, because now individuals have been deputized to report when people participate in an abortion or perform an abortion in order to, um, to use the law to de-incentivize certain behaviors, right? In this case, killing unborn children, right? You, you're going to be fine. We're going to find out. And, and the, the Texas residents are going to be aware of the fact that it's on their shoulders to file lawsuits if they hear people are getting in abortions, participating in it, or pursuing it. And this is a really good thing. Now, of course, the left is losing their minds over this, right? Uh, they're, they're, uh, they're saying that this is like an abortion bounty hunter, which is incredibly ironic because when you hear the word abortion bounty hunter, you'd probably think the abortionist, right, or the abortion industry. They're, they have a bounty for abortion for preborn children that they get money in return for killing. But, of course, in their typical euphemistic bigotry, the left means that we pro-lifers are abortion bounty hunters because we're, we're, we're putting a bounty on the heads of people who will pursue abortion um, and 
using civil lawsuits as a, uh, and, and fines up to $10,000 to de-incentivize killing unborn children. According to the website, the Texas Heartbeat Act is unique because it calls upon private citizens to hold abortion providers and their enablers accountable. Anyone uh, can sue any abortion provider who kills an unborn child after six weeks of gestation, and any person can sue anyone who aids or abets these illegal abortions. All of these individuals must pay damages to the person who sued them of at least $10,000 for each illegal abortion that they perform or assist. Texas Right to Life will ensure that these lawbreakers are held accountable for their actions. Use the links below to report anyone who is violating the Texas Heartbeat Act by aiding or abetting a post-heartbeat abortion, and report any person or entity that aids or abets or that intends to aid or abet an illegal abortion in Texas. So you can bring these lawsuits for someone who's intending to break the law before they've done it and therefore save the, that child before they're killed, which is a really good thing. Now, there's an argument that you might be hearing against this, and you're hearing it from some squishy conservatives, right? These, what again, what Michael Knowles likes to call these court jesters in the kingdom of liberalism, these people who pretend to be conservative, they pretend to be pro-life. Uh, but they're not conserving anything, right? They just do performative theatrical acts for the liberal regime in order to get crumbs from the state religion's table of secular progressivism um, while they masquerade as conservatives. The argument against this from some of these squishy pro-lifers and conservatives, or, you know, libertarians, is that this is, a, this is encouraging a surveillance state. Isn't that the very thing we don't want as conservatives? It's causing division. You're going to have Americans spying on one another. I thought Republicans and conservatives didn't like that. I thought you didn't like that they were spying on Tucker Carlson. You're encouraging the same thing. Okay, right. So obviously you probably see that this is not the same thing at all. If you understand and believe the science, right, follow the science, that the unborn child is a human being, with full dignity, full rights, meaning there's the child in the womb is no less valuable than that same child right after they slip out of their mother's vaginal canal, who is no less valuable than your son at his one-year-old birthday this side of the womb. If you believe in human equality and that our rights spring from our human nature, and therefore we have those rights from the moment we become human, the moment of conception, then you would see no difference in a moral landscape or context between the killing of a pre-born human and a born human being. If you have that understanding, if, if, if you acknowledge reality, right, then whistleblowing on people trying to arrange the dismemberment and killing of an innocent human being is a very good thing. That's very American, right? That's very conservative. Um, the people who are saying that this type of whistleblowing is inappropriate in the conservative movement and in America uh, really are not, as Hadley Arcus says, possessed of a lively sense that there are real human beings getting killed in these surgeries. Because if you were possessed of that sense, you would be just as supportive of people whistleblowing against those trying to kill unborn children as you would be about your neighbor whistleblowing when he hears his neighbor beating his wife, right? And that's ultimately my point, is that if you would blow the whistle call the authorities, report your neighbor, because you hear him beating the crap out of his wife, then why would you have a problem with whistleblowing on family members, friends, etc., who are about to arrange the killing, dismemberment, slaughter of an innocent baby simply because they're unwanted, a little bit smaller, and a little bit more dependent than you are? So this is what I call soft bigotry, right? These squishy pro-lifers and conservatives who say they're pro-life 
are not really pro-life like I'm pro-life because they don't treat the unborn as intrinsically valuable enough to warrant political protection, to warrant informing the authorities that these people are going to break state law to kill a human being who is just as valuable as any one of us this side of the womb. So that argument just, just falls on, I think, on deaf ears if you're truly pro-life. But of course, people are losing their minds over this, right? That individuals are deputized to enforce Texas state law. Here's one leftist dude on Twitter uh, calling for crashing the website, this, this pro-life whistleblowing website with BS info. He says, the website that Texas is using for people to snitch on women seeking abortions is prolifewhistleblower.com. You can help us crash this website by entering BS info. Retweet to make good trouble. Hashtag Texas Taliban. <laughs> Oh, these type of political attacks are only allowed on one side of the political aisle, aren't they? <laughs> Can you imagine if Republicans were comparing the Democratic Party that systemically discriminates against unborn children as the Taliban? Uh, the New York Times and the LA Times uh, would be getting high on their own intellectual and journalistic farts for weeks as they compare us to Nazis, right? And I made this point on the show last week, if you listen to it, uh, called uh, Since We're Making Taliban Comparisons, right? I made the point that I usually wouldn't go out of my way to compare Democrats and abortion crazies to the Taliban. But you had that absolute hack at MSNBC writing a piece comparing pro-lifers, okay, to the Taliban. Because if you think about it, pro-lifers and the Taliban, they both hate and oppress women. <laughs> right. No, you hate and oppress preborn women who are just as valuable as born women because human value does not come from a magical uh, fetus fairy that sprinkles personhood fairy dust on children as they're born. That value comes from our human nature, which we had from the moment we became human, and we became human at the moment of conception. The only bigotry and hatred against women is coming from the democratic side of the aisle that is sort of the political prostitute of the abortion industry. Let me be very, very clear. Um, but if they're going to compare pro-lifers to the Taliban, let's be clear that that comparison really only goes one way, doesn't it? The Taliban supports genital mutilation of women and children and the decapitation of the innocents who get in their way. Democrats support the genital mutilation of children and minors because they played with a Sally doll once and their public school teacher told them they're the other gender. By the way, they're, they're starting to be more honest that they support that genital mutilation of trans children against the wishes of their parents. And they support the decapitation of innocent children in the womb who get in their way and are deemed unwanted. Wow, look at those two very, very stark comparisons between the Taliban and the abortion left. Um, but this dude says, you know, hashtag Texas Taliban, right? Because it's pro-lifers that are like the Taliban. Yeah, sure, sure. Of course, Joe Biden and Nancy Pelosi have come out screaming as well. Uh, Nancy Pelosi, who, who, of course, is the grandmother of abortion, and, and Joe Biden, who is just, of course, sort of an empty grandpa suit for the abortion industry. And so they, they both came out against this bill as well because of the threat that it represents to their regime, okay? Abortion is at the very centerpiece of secular progressivism and the Democrat Party. Their platform, since, since nearly Roe versus Wade, has been abortion through point of birth funded by the public dole. And if you disagree, you'll be treated as a heretic, right? This is why some people like Joe Manchin, the only semi-reasonable senator in the Democrat Party today, 
who says he's pro-life is treated like a pariah by his own party. You know, so much for the Democrats saying, we're a big tent party. We want to make room for all opinions. No, not anymore, right? That's a state religion now, secular progressivism, the religion of the Democrat Party. And if you dissent from that at all, right, you'll be treated as a heretic. And so Joe Biden and Nancy Pelosi are making this point very clear. Joe Biden said this, the Supreme Court's ruling overnight is an unprecedented assault on a woman's constitutional rights <laughs> under Roe versus Wade, which has been the law of the land for almost 50 years. While the Chief Justice was clear to stress that the action by the Supreme Court is not a final ruling on the future of Roe, the impact of last night's decision will be immediate and requires an immediate response. One reason I became the first president in history to create a gender policy council was to be prepared to react to such assaults on women's rights, he continued. Hence, I am directing the council and the office of the White House Council to launch a whole-of-government effort to respond to this decision, looking specifically to the Department of Health and Human Services, right, which he put um, Xavier Becerra in charge of, right, who forces nuns to pay for abortion-inducing drugs, remember? And, and continues Kamala Harris's prosecution against David Daleiden, who exposed Planned Parenthood for breaking federal law and selling dead baby body parts on the black market. Oh, you mean Xavier Becerra, who tried to force California pro-life pregnancy centers to advertise for where the local abortion mill was in the walls of the pregnancy center clinic? Yeah, that is Xavier Becerra, probably the biggest pro-abortion bigot in the country at the political level after Kamala Harris. He's running the HHS. Of course, Joe Biden will task him with protecting a woman's constitutional right to abortion. And see what steps the federal government can take to ensure that women in Texas have access to safe and legal abortions as protected by Roe. And what legal tools we have to insulate women and providers from the impact of Texas's bizarre scheme of outsourced enforcement to private parties. Oh, you mean federalism. You mean, our, you mean like American's form of government like local control at the city and then state level, and that the federal government should be as, as involved, as least as involved as possible in local jurisdictions. Yeah, of course, but the Democratic Party has no respect for federalism except when it serves their purposes. Ironically, with sanctuary cities for illegal immigrants, <laughs> right? They have sanctuary cities too, and they break federal law by creating sanctuary cities for illegal immigrants. And then, of course, then the Democrats really love the federalist system, except when conservatives use that American system to take back life in, 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 in America. Nancy Pelosi comes out and her response, of course, is we need to codify Roe versus Wade, oh my gosh. We need to shove this decision down the throats of Americans in all 50 states. And we need to implement Kamala Harris's pipe dream, remember, which was a pre-clearance guideline list, which would mean any state-level pro-life legislation would need to be cleared by the federal government before it was allowed to be voted on by the residents of any given state. Uh, destroying federalism in the democratic will. That's Nancy Pelosi's response, right? More federal government, more power, more forcing you to comply, you pagans of my alternative religion. She says, the Supreme Court's cowardly, dark-of-night decision to uphold a flagrantly unconstitutional assault on women's rights and health is staggering. That, that this radically partisan court chose to do so without a full briefing, oral arguments, or providing a full signed opinion is shameful. I had to switch to my Pelosi voice there, my, my, my stuttering uh, dementia grandma of abortion voice. Uh, she, it's interesting. She calls the Supreme Court a radically partisan court. And of course, she's using that as a bad thing, right? As like a bad, as a, as like a bad phrase. They're so radically partisan because Trump got three justices on the Supreme Court. Since when have Democrats have a pro had a problem with radical partisanship at the highest court of the land? Huh? 
Anyone remember Obergefell, the decision that found a fictional right to gay marriage and butt sex in the Constitution and said that marriage is not the conjugal exclusive union of complementary sexes for the good of society and the rearing of children, which every society in human history has always agreed on. Rather, it's an intense emotional union. And if you really love someone or someones, then you should be able to call that a marriage as well. That was a radically partisan court that shoved a redefinition of marriage down the throats of Americans, taking away our democratic will to decide those issues in our local communities and states through our elected representatives. Since when have Democrats had a problem with radically partisan courts? Aha, uh -huh, exactly. They don't care about the American form of government, only how they can use the political tools at their disposal, be they good American system and form of government, or bad federal government control uh, to accomplish their political goals, right? It's all about the imposition of their rules and wielding political power to achieve their vision. That's something that conservatives can take a page out of the left from, learning how to obtain political power and wielding, wielding it effectively, but for far different means. She continues and says, SB8 delivers catastrophe to women in Texas. Catastrophe, yeah, it's horrible, huh, to become a parent particularly women of color and women from low-income families. Every woman everywhere has a constitutional right to basic health care. SB8 is the most extreme, dangerous abortion ban in half a century, and its purpose is to destroy Roe versus Wade and even refuses to make exceptions for cases of rape and incest. This ban necessitates codifying Roe versus Wade. Yes, let's murder the rape babies. Let's do that. And we need to shove this decision down your throat. No more passing pro-life laws. We can't allow states to utilize their elected representatives to pass laws that reflect their desires because that might compromise women killing their own children. And of course, she takes this very racist line, right, of women of color and women from low-income communities will be particularly affected. And Planned Parenthood took this, this same Nancy Pelosi route as well. Nancy Pelosi, again, who's just kind of like the, the spiritual demonic grandmother of Planned Parenthood, um, and Planned Parenthood have both taken this route of complaining about like how we're going to have more black people in Texas now. It's very strange, right? It, one might actually call it racist. I don't know. One might call it vestiges of systemic racism, maybe something like that, to use their language. Um, here's a tweet from Planned Parenthood about how angry they were. They said, um, the Supreme Court failed to block a law that flies in the face of Roe versus Wade and that results for black, Latino, and indigenous people, those with low incomes and folks in rural areas will be devastating. We will keep fighting for Texans and reproductive freedom. So, you know, what are Nancy Pelosi and Planned Parenthood both saying here? They're saying that minority communities will be disproportionately affected by this Texas ban on abortion after six weeks. Now, of course, they're saying that, that minorities get more abortions, and so they're going to be forced into the burden of, um, uh, of parenthood, um, and that will be harder for them because they're poorer and we're Democrats, and so we just assume that minority people are poor and they're, and they're worse parents, and that's why they'll be disproportionately affected. We're Democrats, so we assume that minority populations can't pull themselves up by their own bootstraps, get another job, work harder to um, financially support the children that they choose to conceive through a consensual act of sex. We're Democrats, so that's what we assume about minority communities. That's what they're saying, right? But, but at, in reality, what will happen is that, is that minority communities will disproportionately have more human beings, have more children. Because you're already a mother or father to the child in the womb who already has its own existence, its own unique DNA, and of course, its own gender. 
determined from the moment of conception. So what are they saying? They're saying minorities who kill their children at a higher rate will be forced into giving birth to the child that they're already a mother to. Therefore, we will have more black people, <laughs> more Hispanic people, more indigenous people in Texas. I thought that's what Democrats wanted, right? I thought they wanted the minority populations of America to increase in representation. So the worst thing to Planned Parenthood and Nancy Pelosi is that minority populations will grow and increase and therefore grow their representation in America. <laughs> That's a bad thing? It's almost, it's almost like one could say Planned Parenthood and the Democratic Party, the political prostitute of the abortion industry, are racist. <laughs> they don't really care about minority communities whatsoever. Wow, shocker. Um, but of course, it's not a good thing to Planned Parenthood because minority populations disproportionately seek out abortion. So Planned Parenthood knows how much money they get from such a small percentage of the populace. So they have a vested financial interest in maintaining their financial stronghold and chokehold on such a small percentage of the population because they provide them a lot of blood money, a lot of abortion bounty money, you could say. So you got this uh, other abortion crazy degenerate um, who's also obsessed with Margaret Sanger and her two-pronged vision of racism and eugenics, just to kind of give you the response of all these abortion crazies to this Texas law. His name's Richard <coughs> Hanania. Richard Hanania, okay? He's the president of the Center for the Study of Partisanship and Ideology. And he made the note of how the rate of abortions um, post-Down syndrome diagnosis um, are going to result in more Down syndrome babies, right? Because he, he's making the point that usually diagnosing Down syndrome in the womb through the amniocentesis test doesn't occur until about 10 weeks or later. And because the Texas heartbeat bill would ban abortions after six weeks, he's saying you're not going to be able to identify Down syndrome in, in utero, which means you're not going to be able to make the choice to eugenically eliminate down syndrome babies in the womb. Oh, frick! Texas is going to have a bunch more Down syndrome human beings. That's what he's saying. Yes, yes. Taking a page out of the eugenics of Margaret Sanger once again. Here's his tweet. He says, you can't screen for Down syndrome before about 10 weeks. And something like 80% of Down syndrome fetuses are aborted. If red states uh, ban abortion, we could see a world where they have five times as many children with Down syndrome and similar numbers for other disabilities. Take your eugenics and shove it up your, I won't finish that sentence as a family show here. Uh, take your eugenics and uh, go to Timbuktu with that, all right? We should ban this person to St. Helena. This is disgusting. I, how, why do we allow for this type of stuff in America? If it comes from Margaret Sanger, who Planned Parenthood has finally acknowledged was a racist and eugenicist, isn't that interesting? After conservatives have been saying that for decades. If anything has vestiges of ableism, racism, and eugenics, we demand that we tear down every statue and structure that represented that ideology. Unless it's the Democrat Party, the party of slavery. Unless it's Margaret Sanger, whose ideas have influenced all these degenerates today. Then it's perfectly fine. In fact, we celebrate it. Now, let me be very clear. This, this fricker, Richard Hanania, okay, he's not saying that this is a good thing. He's not saying if red states employ similar laws like Texas, they're going to have a huge increase up to five times as many Down syndrome babies. Isn't that wonderful because we love Down syndrome babies? No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying it'll be a bad bad thing. Eugenic Nazi sicko. And if you listen to the show from the beginning, I've talked about actually the very disturbing links between the Nazis and Hitler 
um, and the American eugenicists who hobnobbed with Margaret Sanger and how they influence one another. Maybe we'll do another show on that again soon to dive more in depth with that. So how do you stop these people? How do you stop these eugenic Nazi sickos who want less black people, Hispanic people, and indigenous people in Texas, and who want less Down syndrome babies because they're chromosomally imperfect, and Richard Hanania wants to perfect the gene pool by getting rid of any people that he deems unfit to live because he believes he's God and can simply decide what level of quality of life is acceptable for society to allow you to continue to live. How do you fight back against these types of sickos? You obtain and then you wield political power for the good, for the good. And yet we have very cowardly spines of rubber conservatives and alleged pro-lifers like Christy Nome, though I'm, I'm grateful for her looking into implementing this Texas law in South Dakota, like Asa Hutchinson, uh, governor of Alabama, correct me if I'm wrong, or Arkansas, Alabama, I think, who, who refused to sign a bill that would have banned genital mutilations of minors who think they're the other gender. Asa Hutchinson, a Republican who says he's pro-life, did not sign that bill. And what do these squishy pro-lifers and conservatives tell us? They tell us, well, if we wield that type of power to enforce behavior in such a large way, then the left will do the same to us. Remember, this is what they say, right? They say, I thought we were small government conservative. I thought we were limited government. We want to allow people to make their own decisions. This was the argument Asa Hutchinson was making uh, either on Tucker Carlson or on another show where he was defending vetoing a bill that would have banned the genital mutilation and chopping off the penises of eight-year-old boys because they think they're a girl and their degenerate parents or teachers are telling them that he is a girl. He, he refused to ban, he refused to, to sign the, the bill that would have banned such um, genital minor mutilation. Um, and this was his argument. It's the argument of, of many lifelong establishment Republicans who say they're pro-life is we can't wield that type of big political power because then the left will do it to us. And then, and then they'll require behavior of us, like not going to church. Oh, yeah, they've been doing that for a year and a half. Um, like, um, like not being able to teach certain curriculum in private schools. Yeah, they've been, trying to, they've been trying to end that for a long time too. If you teach that marriage is a union of one man and one woman, they're trying to label that as anti-trans, anti-gay bigotry. And the Equality Act, had it passed through the Senate and was signed by Biden, would have labeled those Christian schools who taught that as, um, as breaking a laws against uh, anti-discrimination, and they could have been shut down. Okay, So the left's already doing that. Politics is much more about substance than it is about form. And your enemy gets a say in politics, and the left is getting a say in how they wield political power against the unborn and against conservatives. Will we step up to the plate and wield political power for the good, for the protection of the pre-born? That's how you fight these sickos. Is the church waking up and it's Christians practicing stewardship? Because in America, politics is stewardship for the Christian. It's stewarding the amazing gift you've been given of self-government of promoting good and righteousness and restraining evil. Uh, former Secretary of State John Foster Dulles put this beautifully. In 1954, he was asked a question about politics, and he said, neighborly love in political actions means loving others based on the brotherhood that was created with God as the father of all. It means that the political power of any government must be considered an opportunity not to favor individuals, but to do well for all. Amen. 
politics is a way to love neighbor, and of course, the unborn is the only neighbor that it's legal to kill. Well, the left always eventually eats its own, and we're seeing this with the left's new treatment of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, the notorious RBG, remember? Now, I think she was only given that title at least in the mainstream, with all of her little puppets and frickin' bobbleheads that said the notorious RBG and all these shirts and bookmarks and everything, um, right when Trump became president. Because she was seen by the leftist blob and establishment as sort of this lone figure, right? This like lone feminist slay queen figure standing in the gap preventing Trump's theocracy and pro-life targeting of women. And she was seen as this warrior for women, the only one willing to stand up to Trump. <laughs> and, that, and that's how she sort of got this new title, the Notorious RBG. Now, of course, she's passed now, but you know, the left is pissed off at this dead woman, right? Why? Um, because they are saying, you, you RBG, you should have stepped down while Obama was president, because then Obama could have appointed someone in your place who was just as radical as you. So now we hate you, you dead feminist because you were selfish and you tried to hold on to power in the Supreme Court and Trump became president and then you died and then he replaced you with Amy Coney Barrett. They're, that Literally, that's what these leftist crazies, abortion crazies are saying right now. Here's some crazy tweets um, that are going uh, along right now. In retrospect, maybe Ruth Bader Ginsburg should have stepped down from the court in 2014. Uh, some leftist commentator said. Here's another one. Ruth Bader Ginsburg really, really should have stepped down. When you are a leader of people with their lives in your hands, you have to do what's best for them always. She didn't. And in typical leftist lexicon, this phrase seems to apply to the pro-life movement and the unborn child, unless you're aware of how sick they are in their use of language to veil that which they really support. Listen to this. When you are a leader of people, now of course she's not supposed to be a leader, she's supposed to be a jurist who interprets the Constitution, but that's how the left uses the Supreme Court, right, as, as a power structure to rewrite laws. With their lives in your hands, yes, Ruth Bader Ginsburg has had preborn lives in her hands before, and she voted against the Partial Birth Abortion Ban Act um, to ensure that babies could be murdered and have their head chopped off and their brains sucked out of their head while their legs were flailing outside of their mother's birth canal and their head and shoulders were still in the vaginal canal. And she voted to make sure that procedure remained legal. So she had unborn lives in her hands. And this leftist commentator says, you have to do what's best for them always. And she didn't. You're right, Ruth Bader Ginsburg did not do what was best for the preborn whose lives was in her hands. But of course, that's not what she's talking about. She's talking about doing best for the women who want to pay someone else to kill their own child. Um, so just translating some pro-abortion um, leftism there for you. And lastly, and this run really takes the cake, someone said, Ruth Bader Ginsburg's categorical refusal to retire brought us here. So thank you, you old, dead, white bee. <laughs> you know what word that is who later uh, deleted her tweet, right? So, and she describes herself as a feminist. And of course, there's no such thing as a pro-choice feminist because feminism believes in the inherent dignity of women, which would include the moment you're a female, which would mean pre-born women as well. Okay, so this is how the leftist establishment and abortion industry is responding to all of this. And I wanted to take time to walk you through their absolute hysteria and frenzied treatment of protecting human beings in the womb because we need to ask why? Why is this so? There's an important lesson here. If we merely laugh at their, their hysteria, which we should do, right? A comedy can be an important salve 
um, in very dark and disturbing times. But if we merely laugh at them and chuckle away our concerns, we do ourselves a great disservice. There is a lesson here. They mobilize quicker over abortion than anything else. They scream louder, cuss more, and turn to the most nasty political attacks when it comes to abortion. Because for the left, abortion is a sacrament. It represents their entire religion. When we participate in the sacrament of communion, we're reminding ourselves whom we serve and whose we are. We break the body and shed the blood. We eat the body and blood of Christ to remind ourselves of the broken body and shed blood of Christ poured out for eternal life and the remission of sins for those who repent. Right, so that sacrament represents our entire belief system, our entire religion, right? And that, that's speaking as simplistically as I can um, without taking away any of the wonder of the sacrament. That, that's what communion represents. Of course, marriage is a sacrament as well, and baptism is a sacrament. Um, but certainly communion is a sacrament. Well, for the left, abortion is a sacrament, right? Because if you can redefine human nature and liberate yourself, <clears throat> even from the boundaries of human nature, right, by saying men can be women and pre-born humans are not persons and rip the term human from person apart, just like Dred Scott did with the slave. If you can liberate yourself from the constraints of human nature <clears throat> and convince the broader public that not only is that possible, but it's a social good, then there is no end to your political project, right? You hear me say on the show, if you don't get the right to life right, you won't get any other rights right. Well, the left kind of has the inversion of that, the antonym of that. It goes something like this. If you can get the right to life wrong or inverted, you can invert everything else, right? And if you can convince people that the right to life is a fantasy, a fiction, then there's no end to your political project. And that's always been the point, right? To entirely upend society so that they can recreate it in their own images. To burn it all down and from the ash to make something that they call beautiful. Human flourishing with, with choice and self-fulfillment as the centerpiece of secular progressivism. So abortion is a sacrament. And of course, um, this was put um, the best by, uh, oh, his name just slipped my mind, I quote him all the time. Um, Peter Kreft, the Catholic philosopher, who said that abortion is the demonic parody of the Eucharist. That's why it uses the same holy words. This is my body, but with the opposite blasphemous meaning, right? So abortion says, you must die so I can live, but Christ says, no, I must die so you can live. So this is an alternative religion, and abortion or human sacrifice is just a replacement for eternal life. It's how they pursue peace through the shedding of innocent blood, but rather than the innocent shed blood of Christ, they pursue the innocent shed blood of babies. So blood is still an operative principle in how they pursue peace and reconciliation rather than with God, but with themselves, right? And that's how they view human flourishing and, and sort of human self-fulfillment. Well, at the root of this alternative religion, of course, is sex, right? Sex is really the dominant god of leftism. And abortion is sort of just an entangled serpent with sex. Sex and abortion are really just a two-way street for the left. You have to have both in order to travel in the religion of secular progressivism because there can be no self-fulfillment through the orgasm of sex without the right to kill the products of sex, which enable you to be as gods 
and have no responsibility beyond your own satisfaction and fulfillment, okay? So the left has had a very long and very strange and mystical view of sex as this sort of means to liberation, right? This means to enlightenment, this means to freedom, right? And you know, you probably know aspects of the history of the sexual revolution, right? We needed free sex, right? We needed birth control, we needed to liberate ourselves from the duties that come along with sex, namely the person you had sex with and that you kind of have a, a emotional soul ties with now, and the human being that you created through that act of coitus or procreation. You have to liberate yourself from those duties and responsibilities that are intrinsic to the act itself <clears throat> in order to, per <clears throat> to pursue self-fulfillment. And the left has had this strange sort of like rebirth uh, view of sex as a way to be rebirthed, as a way to pursue enlightenment and liberation. And this goes, this goes very far back, but it goes, it goes back to one figure in particular who has influenced um, the left in the abortion industry in significant ways in their view of sex as this sort of goddess, right? And that person's name is Wilhelm Reich. Wilhelm Reich was an Austrian communist, <clears throat> excuse me, and a disciple of Sigmund Freud. Um, and he, he was a psychiatrist, um, but because he was a sex um, addict lunatic, <clears throat> excuse me, and viewed sex as this strange, mystical <clears throat> self-realization act, he turned many of his <laughs> psychiatrist patients into lovers. Um, and if he impregnated them, he just forced them to have abortions, right? Again, again that, that, that disgusting relationship between sex and abortion. I'm in the religion of secular progressivism, sex and abortion have to have one another. And when you separate them, you're acknowledging an objective moral order that with sex come certain duties and responsibilities to the person you had sex with and to the human being you created. But they, they, have, to sep they have to separate sex from procreation and they have to attach sex with abortion um, in order to pull off their political project, right? So in 1940, Wilhelm Reich published this very disgusting, strange pseudoscientific treatise called The Function of the Orgasm. <laughs> okay, The Function of the Orgasm. And he blamed chastity, <laughs> right? Waiting to have sex with the person you marry. He blamed chastity for the illnesses, all of the poverty, and war, right? If we could just bang it out a little more and fulfill every urge we ever have, then, then we would be woke, then we would be enlightened, then we would be satisfied, right? And then we would have peace. We wouldn't have war, right? We wouldn't have poverty. We wouldn't even have illnesses because orgasm is now a strange mystical experience that can even solve human diseases. This, this is who Wilhelm Reich was, right? And he is very much a spiritual father in the religion of progressivism. And he believed in this mystical energy called orgon, which he believed constituted the primary force of life. Kind of like how, I don't know, Jedi's view the force. <laughs> he viewed orgon as his primary force of life. And he created what was called orgon accumulators. Okay, Wilhelm Reich, this sex-crazed lunatic, created things called orgon accumulators that were used to manipulate and enhance sexual experiences by removing electric blockages within human beings. Removing and satisfying electric blockages in human beings in order to maximize 
your, your ability to enjoy sexual experiences. And this was all done with the pursuit of elevating sex to the pinnacle of his religion because through sex and orgasm, you can actually secure human peace, human flourishing, and self-fulfillment and self-realization. So that's a brief aside to give you a background into the left's long obsession with sex and the type of figures who have influenced this political movement's elevation and view of sex. So if sex comes with responsibilities and duties, namely children, then it can't be the god of pleasure and self-realization that, that, the left, that the left demands that it be. You have to separate the two. So sex needs abortion. If abortion is removed as an option, their very identity has been ripped away because they have built their identity on the goddess of sex, right? who demands children, who demands human sacrifice. So ironically, the left has actually become the very thing they decry and claim to worry about. They have become a theocracy. They have become a theocracy, right? Because they will defend abortion with a crusader-like zeal, right? As, as sort of the historical Christian theocrats, they always claim are right on the horizon. They're right on the horizon. The Christian theocrats are right on the horizon. They're about to take over the government, right? Trump, he's going to restore a theocracy in America, they said, <laughs> right? They're going to force you to convert to Christianity. Oh my gosh. And they're going to use the power of the federal government to force you to be Christians, right? These are the, the crazed sort of lunatic pipe dreams and frenzied visions that the left has of the conservative movement. Ironically, that is exactly who they are. Typically, the left accuses their political opponents of the very things they do and of the very things they are. And that's what they're doing today, right? Remember the Equality Act? Of, of the many things it would do, it would tell a pro-life physician who doesn't want to perform abortions that if he tells a woman, I don't perform abortions, go find someone else who does, he will be sued for pregnancy discrimination. Yes, you remember this? I covered it at the time about the Equality Act. If a pastor fires his associate pastor because he was sleeping with men, breaking the conduct of his hiring and the sexual ethic, the, the biblical sexual ethic, then that pastor could be fired for sex discrimination, and that would be treated as the moral equivalent of a pastor firing another pastor because he was black. That would be treated as the same as firing him for having butt sex with men in the church. It's almost like if you, don't, if you don't recite the religious perspectives and tenets of the religion of secular progressivism, then you'll be forced or conceded, or coerced rather, into conceding their religion. It sounds like a theocracy. <laughs> so they have become the very things that they say we are and that they claim they fear. They have become crusader-like zealots running a theocracy the only theocracy in America today being the state religion of secular progressivism with sex and abortion as their sacraments. And if that's compromised, they will respond in kind for that represents their entire identity, right? Remember when conservatives tell men who think they're women that, hey, you're a dude? 
How does that person react oftentimes if, if they're a trans activist? I know there's, there are some trans individuals who don't demand that conservatives call them their pronouns. But for the trans activists and the Democrat Party that demand those pronouns being used, how do those trans activists and the Democratic Party respond when we say, dude, you're a dude? They scream bloody murder, right? They say, you're not affirming his existence, her existence, whatever, right? You're not affirming her lived experience. Because what, to them, we're questioning their very identity. Well, when we pass laws against abortion in Texas and other states start to consider doing the same, for them, that's the same thing. We're calling into question their entire identity. And for them, they've built that identity on the murdered piles of bodies of children who, like their racist Democrat forebearers, believe that not all humans are persons but sex and abortion are the operative gods and sacraments of that religion. This is an important lesson because if you do not realize this, then the church, Christians, and pro-lifers will not be responding with the type of religious zeal, a good zeal, right, a righteous zeal to protect the pre-born, that we need to in order to counter and defeat that type of passionate radicalism. As you've heard me say before, why won't we do for good what the other side will so passionately do for evil? Boy, will they organize and mobilize to protect their greatest sacrament. Will we? Will we organize and mobilize in a way to use politics as stewardship and to, to quote John Foster Dulles, in order to use politics as neighborly love to do well for all and to favor no individuals? Well, the unborn child is the only one who has been excluded from the American experiment with their first natural right denied to them for nearly 49 years. This is an opportunity for the church and Christians, not just to wield political power for righteous reasons, but also to remind the post-Christian society who has built their identity on sex and abortion that there is a better way to pursue peace. There's a better way to pursue self-fulfillment and self-realization. There's a better way to pursue eternal life. And it's found, ironically, in a womb. In a womb. Christ himself takes on fetal flesh and enters human history in a uterus to redeem mankind from their sins. The very solution, the very peace that the post-Christian society and secular progressive movement is craving for and, 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 and screaming for in their lives is found in the very place that they most passionately attack, the womb. God himself becomes a zygote, a fetus, an embryo to identify with us from our most vulnerable stage in order to win man and womankind back through his broken body and his shed blood poured out for the remission of sins and eternal life. This is an opportunity for us to remind them of the only God that will satisfy. And if you've lived in very um, sexually escapade life, then you'll know that sex, like any other God, disappoints. It never fulfills. When you wake up in bed the next morning with your fling or girlfriend, your heart is not full. And you do that for long enough, and you will realize how broken, unfulfilled, and devastated your life has become because it's an alternative God. We come from God. We've been made by God. And so, therefore, we will not experience peace, the remission of sins, or the type of human flourishing and fulfillment that we look for until we return to that womb of Mary where Christ becomes human. This is an opportunity for us to tell the post-Christian society of the only God who will fulfill and satisfy your mystical and eternal longings which come from God and he is eager 
to fulfill. Thanks so much for tuning in today. Head on over to iTunes, Spotify, YouTube. Give the show a rating and review. Let us know what you think. It really helps us reach more people. If you want to learn more and engage with me online, head on over um, to sethgruber.com, S-E-T-H-G-R-U-B as in baby boy, E-R.com to sign up for my newsletter, to see my speaking schedule, which is almost full for the year, uh, and to book me for an event um, uh, to get into your church, to wake people up, to get your church to think about this in this broader theological perspective, to wake up the church, to take back life as the only institution that can hold government to account. Thanks so much. We'll see you next week. I'm Seth Gruber, and this is Unaborted. <laughs>